Uh, it is so good to see John standing back up in the balcony. You don't see him, I do. Uh, John was in the hospital, and he said he would, if he had to choose between going through bypass surgery on a heart or COVID, he would choose the bypass surgery. So we thank God for his mercy. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, this morning, as we turn in the gospel, we're going to be looking at gospel of John. We're in the first chapter. For those of you who are, are visiting this morning for the first time, we we really have started this series that you may believe because the Gospel of John is different from the other Gospels. The other three Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's Gospel is more of a narrative, and so it doesn't include some things the other Gospels do include. For instance, you don't see a lot of parables in John's Gospel. Uh, John is more concerned with you understanding who Jesus is and why he's come as a fulfillment of the Old Testament as a fulfillment of what God promised the Jewish people. And so it, it's very important as Christians that you're able to understand this truth of who Jesus Christ is because if Jesus is who he says he is, then there is no other way of salvation than through him. You will not get to heaven if you're a Muslim or a Jew or any other person of faith except through Jesus Christ. This is how dramatically clear the gospel is. And he begins that, as we studied so far in our, our study last week, in that John, as he begins in looking at this, he makes clear about who Jesus is. Before we dig into that, I just want to ask, would you mind standing with me as we, as we honor God and the attention we give to his word as we hear the word of God this morning from chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, and we'll continue reading from verse 6 through verse 18. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This John is different from the John who wrote the gospel. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all may believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he, he was before me. Now, out of this fullness, we have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who himself God, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, 
has made him known. This is the word of God. You may be seated. And so as we read this passage in the latter part of what we're seeing, one of the things that's interesting is how more than anything else, this first chapter is what's traditionally called by those who have written, studied and written commentaries, the prologue to John. And so in our study of the gospel of John, this first chapter is almost like uh, a preamble. It's, it's like a, a chapter that you absorb and you begin to meditate upon because the truths are so deep and powerful that it's going to take us the rest of the 21 chapters to absorb all that John is revealing about Jesus Christ. This profound statement that the word became flesh. And so as we look at this prologue and we look back on what we've covered so far, just in the first, first five, five verses, we found that, that Jesus was not someone who was created at birth like we were, that he pre-existed his birth, that he was with God in the beginning, and that through him all things were created, and that more than anything else, when we think of this Jesus who was born in the manger, we just celebrated with Christmas, he didn't start his life in that moment. He was God before he was ever in human flesh. And so when you think of Jesus Christ as John portrays him in the first four, five verses, this Jesus is the expression, the mind, the literal representation of God himself in human form. And so we found that because of that Jesus, this person, Jesus, was not only with God, but through Jesus, all, cre all creation was made, everything that was created. Not only that, he is eternally God at the same time the Father is. And you say, wait a minute, Robert, you're talking about two different people. We are. We're talking about God the Father and his son, Jesus Christ, but they are one God. And you say, well, how can that be? And the answer is because God is spirit. Do you hear me? God is spirit. And because he is a spirit, he is not finite in his existence. He does not grow old like me. I was showing the teenagers a picture of myself when I was in high school, and they all gasped for obvious reasons. God never grows old. He is eternal. And the person of Jesus John says is his word, the, the word of God is the expression of God. And so this Jesus Christ was with God the Father when he created the world. And if you go back to Genesis, mimicking or following the words of John in the first verse of the Gospel of John, where he writes and says that in the beginning was the word, it takes us all the way back to Genesis where it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and God spoke. And it was so. And so in God speaking the word of God, Jesus is that visible representation of God speaking his word to us. The most important thing is that you understand that the origin of everything in this world is through him. That God created the entire universe through Jesus Christ. Not only that, that Christ has come in this world to do two things. He has come first to reveal to us who God really is. 
He is the complete representation of the revelation of who God is to us. We don't need to go to the Quran. We don't need to any other book. I remember when my mother turned to Christian science, which is a cult, the first thing that cult did was said, here's a Bible, but here's the Christian science and health. You read the Bible and then read this. We don't need any other book but the Bible. Why? Because it's the word of God. It is God's expression of himself to us. And it's perfectly revealed in this person, Jesus, this expression of God. And so God, the Father, has revealed himself through the Son, Jesus. And in Jesus, we are given a clear representation of who God is. So that we don't have to walk around saying, now, I wonder if God is living in that rock or tree. No, no. God created the rocks and the trees. We talked about how people think of God in the days in that there are agnostics, people who say, I don't know if there is a God. And there are people who are atheists who say, there can't be a God, there is no God. Everything came by chance. It was just some proteins that fell together in the beginning and suddenly came. For the longest time in science, scientists believed that matter, the, the elemental molecules that make us up were, were eternal. And the Bible says, no. God created everything from nothing. And Jesus was the one he did that through. As we pick up this morning and we begin to dig deeper into this, we find that there's another third part of what Jesus' purpose in coming was. And that was he came for a purpose of redeeming God's creation. It doesn't take a scientist to look around. G.K. Chesterton, a writer in the last generation, talked about there is no more empirical proof for the problem of sin than just your neighbor next door or even you. And that we know the world is not what it should be. Intuitively, we look at the civilizations of humanity and we identify that it has always been this problem that we kill and we rob and we steal. Where does this come from? It comes from the fact that humanity has rebelled against the one true God. And see, John, in talking about the, the person of Jesus Christ, brings up this third criteria. Not only was Jesus with God in the beginning eternal, not only did God create everything in the world through Jesus Christ, he says now to us that it is through Jesus Christ that God is going to reclaim his creation, which rebelled against him. When I was a little boy growing up in South Carolina, I lived on a road called Pocket Road. We weren't very creative in why we named roads in that day. Um, it, it literally sewed the, the top of a pocket where two roads were diverged. And so it was the top road that connected these two other major arteries. And on Pocket Road, you had a bunch of trucks that would run up and down the road all day long carrying timber and other products to market. And the most amazing thing is that people would drink Coca-Cola bottles and Pepsi-Cola and Mountain Dew and Sundrop and, well, you name it, 
I, I'm, I'm trying to think of the name of that red wine um, drink that was, yeah, yeah, Red Rock and, and others. And they would throw these bottles out on the side of the road, and they were nasty, and they just littered everything. And they stayed there until I found out that the, the store at the end of the road, which was called the Dead End, wrote, the Dead End Grocery, get that? <laughs> Only in South Carolina, the Dead End Grocery. If you picked up the bottles and you took them, you could actually get five cents for every bottle you returned. I had no idea what they did with those bottles. I didn't care. I just wanted the five cents. And so every week I would pick up the bottles, put them in a wagon, and get down to the dead-end grocery and get my five cents per bottle. And then I'd spend it on candy. And I thought I was the richest man in the world. What had never occurred to me was what happened to those bottles filled with dirt and slime and goo. The bottlers would come to the dead-end grocery and pick up those bottles, take them back to the plant, and wash them and run them through a sterilizer and refill them with the elixir of the gods. <laughs> and then put them back in the dead-end grocery so I could spend my money to get them. And the whole time I was drinking those drinks, I never thought about the, the truth that I was drinking out of a bottle that I used to find in a ditch. Would, it, would you have drunk out of it? The image there is important because you and I are filled with filth. You are not what God created you to be. You are selfish, prideful, arrogant, self-centered in your approach to life. And if you don't believe it, just get married or live with a friend more than one hour. And you suddenly recognize there's something about us that really stinks. And it's called sin. And the Bible says that sin entered the world through one man, Adam and Eve, and it spread to all humans. So everyone has fallen. This is the point of John's message in the third part of the, of the, the first chapter. It is to explain why this Jesus even became flesh. Why did he come? He came to redeem his people. And the first people he had to reach out to were the Israelites. And you say to yourself, well, why the Israelites? Well, you remember, as we read in our call to worship this morning, that God had continually worked with a people who were rebellious and who turned from him, but he would call them to faith and he would display his glory. He would part the Red Sea so they would witness his power and his grace and they would be rescued by the glory of his hands, the interventions that he would give through their lives to preserve them as a people. Why was he doing all that? Why was God doing that? He says he was doing it because he was going to send one who would make an atonement for our sins, one who would take upon himself the penalty for all the things we've ever done that have violated God's law, that God was going to send a Messiah, a Christ who would be an atonement. And so John explains this very clearly in this prologue when he opens up and he begins to talk about in verses 6 through 13 that the first people who would have to be prepared for this God becoming flesh would be the Jews themselves. Well, how would he prepare them? He was going to send 
He was going to send a messenger. He was going to send a person named John the Baptist. That's who he read about, this John who came to witness. By the way, that word witness is in the Greek, uh, what we get to word in English, martyr. And so what John is doing is he's coming in to prepare his people, the Jews, to hear that God is now going to fulfill his promise of sending the Redeemer into the world. And he is going to do that by first sending one who would be like the prophet Elijah, who would be a witness that this is the one that God promised us. This is the one we have been waiting on. This is the one who has become the Savior that we have been anticipating. And the most interesting thing is when you look in the rest of the New Testament, that word that is used for John as a witness is now used for you who believe in Jesus today. You are the martyrs for Christ, the witnesses. So if you have come to believe in Jesus Christ, you have put your trust that you were right with God and made right with God through your faith in him, you now bear that title of being a witness for Jesus Christ. Why would we need to witness? Because God is in the business of redeeming. And the most amazing thing is that that witness is witness to the true light of Jesus. Now let me back up just a minute, just one minute before we get to this point about the light. We're witnessing to the light, but more importantly, God sent this one, John the Baptist. He was sent by God. Look at verse 6. Notice how John the the writer of, of the gospel says, there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. And then he goes on in verse 7 and 8, and he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men and women might believe. Notice that subjective, that they might believe. In other words, though this plan is eternal, that God had made this plan from the creation of the world that he was going to send the word of God, the son of Christ, the son Christ into the world, that there was still going to be the possibility that even though this one would come who would be God in the flesh, that there would be many who would believe but some who would not. And so when you and I begin to think about this, then a witness, the purpose of our witness is to win people to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we are about. That's why this church exists. That's why God has still allowed us as a church to continue is the purpose of our, our gathering is not to be entertained. It is not to, to gather and be warmly cuddled together. It is our calling to give witness that Jesus is the Son of God, the eternal God from the very beginning, the one through whom all things were created, who has now entered a time and space and become like us in every way, but without sin and gave himself for us so that through him we might know the living God and be reconciled to him. Do you know that John baptized people, John the Baptist? That's why they call him the baptizer. He baptized people. Now, why did he do that? Well, interestingly enough, when he gave this message that this one was coming into the world, people began to realize they were going to meet God. And they weren't ready. 
And so they took a, a normal ritual of that day, which was baptism. It was a literally washing away of the water. It's like taking those bottles off the side of the road and washing them to be prepared to receive this new person, this person who is going to be God in the flesh. John was sent to help people prepare to receive Christ. The most amazing thing is the baptism of John was a baptism of repentance or turning away from sin. John said the one who is coming will baptize us with the Holy Spirit, meaning we won't be filled with Coca-Cola or Pepsi. We'll be filled with the Spirit of God. And so for that reason, God, John says that he gave witness to the one who would do this, and he calls him in verse 9, the true light. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, look at that verse real carefully. He says, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Well, what does he mean by that? That Jesus was not just God in the flesh, but he was truly a man. He was fully human and would have every temptation you have, would know the weaknesses and the struggles of being in the flesh, in this world, and yet he would be that light that would display for us the way in which we are to live in relationship with God. I was talking with some people who were Jehovah's Witnesses. I was working in my wood shop on my day off. This was years ago. And they came by and they began to talk with me about their faith. And the most amazing thing is as I talked with them, I discovered something that really just shocked me. That they were reading from a Bible that I thought was a Bible like every other Bible. But the most amazing thing is that their Bible, called the New Translation Bible, is not an accurate translation of the Bible. It's a distortion. Because they kept saying that Jesus was a God, but not the one true God. Which is not who the true light is. The true light is that God became flesh. Fully God, fully human. They were saying, well, no, Jesus is not the God. He is a God. And as I puzzled with them and talked with them about that, I, I suddenly realized there was something wrong with their translation. Do you, do you know what it was? When I held up their translation to ours, whether it was the NIV or the ESV, ours says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Their translation says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God, small g. Do you hear the difference? This is what's happening in our world today. There is great confusion about who this Jesus is, that people think he was just a good teacher, he was just a good man, he was a moral representation of God. No, no. John will not allow anyone who reads his gospel to believe this, that Jesus was God eternally in the flesh and walked among us. This is the true light. This is the one who gives light, the one who reveals the Father to us. This is the one who is the exact representation of the Father. 
When you go to the other parts of the Gospels where, where Jesus is going to be delivered over and, and he's beginning to tell the disciples that he's going to be crucified. And in the latter part of the John's Gospel, he, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you in John 14. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And the disciples are confused because they think, well, he's going to leave us. And, and they'll say, well, where are you going? And he says, you know the way. And they say, well, what's the way? And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And then Thomas says, well, if Jesus, if you'll just show us the Father, then we'll be happy. And he says, to Tom, he says to Thomas, Thomas, have you not been with me for three years and not realized that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? And then Philip says, well, Lord, we don't know the way. And he says, I am the way. See, all of this speaks about the person of Christ and the impossibility of anyone in this world knowing God, the one true God, unless it is through Jesus Christ. Because Christ is the visible representation of the eternal God. And so in this tremendous statement, there's, a, there's some powerful things here. First, that Jesus, this true light, this God becoming flesh, is coming into the world. And here's where the rub begins to really begin to, to gnaw at us as we study John, because the world, we think, is a beautiful place. I mean, have you all been to the mountains lately? Have you seen the fall colors that change over the seasons? Have you seen the grandeur of our land and how glorious it can be? Even some of you thought that snow we had the other night was absolutely beautiful. Shame on you. I'm tired of snow. We think of this world in one sense as being gloriously beautiful, but according to the way God created it, the world is not what he intended in the creation. That the world and that word world in the gospel is oftentimes seen in a negative as John's writing this because the world in that perspective of God looking down upon the face of the earth, all God sees is people in rebellion against him. People who don't want to do his will. People who don't obey his commands. People who don't acknowledge him as God. They worship idols and all kinds of creatures and things that have nothing to do with the one eternal God. And so John is saying to us that Jesus was coming into a world that did not, though it was created by him, did not want to recognize him. Can you imagine? I love dogs. And I was watching a video someone posted on Facebook about a man who had been in a hospital for weeks and he had lost like 50 pounds. He looked like a skeleton compared to where he was. So he was finally taken home to be reunited with his dog. And the dog would have nothing to do with him. He kept barking at him. He kept, you know, just like, I'm so afraid of this guy. Who is this guy? Rah, 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 rah. And, and then suddenly, right at the end, the dog got close enough to smell the man. And he, when the dog smelled him, he was like, <gasps> and he started wagging his tail and he jumped all over his master. And immediately the dog recognized who his master really was, though he could not, from a distance, recognize anything about him. And you kind of go, oh, that's so warm, isn't it? I mean, if you had a dog like Gus, you'd understand. <laughs> but John is saying that Jesus created you. He created everyone. 
And as he came into the world, no one recognized who he was. And no one recognizes who he is today. This is why you were called to be God's witnesses. Because in that witness of the church, we proclaim Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. So that people will draw close and they will suddenly begin to understand this is who God is. This is what happened at the resurrection. Remember when Thomas said, I will not believe it until I touch his hands and touch his side. And Jesus appeared. And what did he say? My Lord and my God. Amazing. Not only does John say that this Jesus was coming into the world, that coming had significance in that those who believed in his name they were given the right to be called children of God. Why them? Well, please notice that when we read this in chapter 1, verse 12, John makes it absolutely clear the importance of Jesus when he says, yet to all who believe in him, to those who, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to be called Children of God, children not born of natural descent, meaning you weren't born in the right family, or of a human decision, meaning that a husband decided, let's have some children, but born of God. And here, this is mystery upon mystery for us, because this is what we talk, call conversion. And that is, as we witness to people about who this Jesus is and what he's come to do, there are people who it just glosses over. Their, their eyes kind of fall back in their head, and they just kind of go, okay. But there are people who we witness to, when they hear about this Jesus, they suddenly go, I, I understand. I, I recognize him. How can I receive him as my Savior? Isn't that beautiful? How does that happen? Well, John's going to tell us in chapter 3 when a man named Nicodemus comes and talks to Jesus about this very thing. And so as you and I begin to look at this prologue, you can begin to see how for John, as we enter into this study of the gospel, he does not want you to Rush past these verses. He wants you to clearly understand who this Christ is. He is not just a moral teacher. He's not just a good man or even a prophet, as they say of the Muslims. He's not just this. He is so much more. He is the eternal God that has become flesh and dwelt among us. He is the true representation of the Father. And then... The most amazing thing is that in the coming of Jesus, God shows his great compassion for a world that is lost. And, and I want to ask you this morning, do you have that compassion for people who are lost in your world? Do you, do you have the compassion to understand that their eternal existence is in jeopardy? We don't like to think that way, do we? I was talking with someone years ago who was telling me, well, I don't believe, I don't believe that God would send people to hell, and I just thought he doesn't have to. 
People are on their way to hell on their own. They have rejected God. They don't want anything to do with the one true God. That's who we are by our nature. And if it wasn't for God's great love, that's who I would still be today. If it wasn't for his great compassion for me in my lost estate, I would never be standing before you and vainly, with great trepidation, trying to teach the scriptures. Because without Christ, there is no other hope, and that's the hope that I came to believe in. And in that hope, it's changed my life, my affections, my desires. Though I am still imperfect in many ways, I have found someone who is perfect and who has the answers for my life that I desperately need. And so because of that, this coming of Jesus speaks about a salvation for a people who are lost. And let me tell you, the moment I begin to think of myself as better than other people, even people who are lost, I have lost the specialness of who Christ is. John's going to tell us about how this Jesus, who was God in the flesh, chose to eat supper with people who cheated other people out of money and sold their bodies to prostitution in order to make money. Well, I don't want to hang around people like that. God does. That's his whole purpose in coming. That's his whole purpose in sending us into the world is that we might garner for ourselves a love for them the way God has loved us that we might offer them the same witness that we received that there is a God who can forgive any sin. And so his coming into the world brings this wonderful, glorious news, but it also is an affirmation. There is no one, no one that is not valuable to the God of heaven. This affirmation of human life, this is why we look at abortion as such a, a questionable thing because we understand that people make bad choices and sometimes because of their own brokenness go down roads that they wish they could change. But there is a God who looks at everyone who is given the image of human as his creation, his precious child. And so when you and I begin to think about the issues of life, we, 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 we care for the poor. We look out for the infirmed. We are worried about individual lives. Do you all know that we're going to do baby bottle boomerang? Did you know what that is? Why are we doing that in this church? It's because we believe God affirms human life. There's no one that God does not look upon in the face of this earth that says, you are precious to me. Thirdly, this coming of Christ deals with identification. And here is the most powerful part of the gospel for me, is that I know that in my weakness, I am never going to be what God wants me to be apart from Christ. But here's the most amazing thing. God, instead of expecting me to become perfect like him on my own strength and power, he became like me. He took on the weakness of flesh so that he could identify so that when I go through temptations and struggles I can call upon a God who who understands what I what I deal with who knows the draw of evil how do I know that you'll hear of Jesus being tempted by the devil and let me tell you 
There's no greater tempter than the devil. And then third, fourthly, the most amazing thing about Jesus coming into the world is the adoration that it, evolved, it evokes from the human heart. When a person hears about this Jesus who is fully God, taking on flesh, coming into the world, that God so loved the world. No, no, no. God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that when you believed upon him, you would not perish, but have eternal life. Meaning that you would come into a relationship with the one true God eternally. It does nothing more in the heart than lift us and say, God, you are so good to me. You are so merciful to me. You are so gracious. And it is for that reason that we worship. I, 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 I feel sorry for people who come to our worship services. I really do. Who come to our worship services and they just go through the motion. Right? No, no, no. To understand who Christ is and to understand what he's done for you is not to passively sit back and be entertained. It is to actively reach out to God in adoration and to say, how oh God, how how merciful you are to me. Well, all of this is very powerful, but it's the testimony that the church has. This is why in the beginning where he talks about the man who was sent by a God named John is now also the one that he closes the prologue with. Notice how he says this. He says in verse 15 that John testifies concerning Jesus and he cries out saying, this is he, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? John's testimony that this Jesus is not just a baby in a manger. This Jesus is the eternal God from the creation of the world through whom all things were created has now become flesh and he was before me and he's now after me. Because as Logan's going to lead in understanding the John's Baptist mission, he just came to point to Jesus. That's what you do. Do you know that? You just point to Jesus so that others, people, will come to know who he is. And then finally in this, this whole scheme of the prologue, are y'all still awake, by the way? Kind of nudge your neighbor next door to make sure they're still awake, would you? The last point of this is that Jesus expects the church to continue this ministry of being a witness. You say, well, how do we do that? Well, we don't do anything more than tell people how we received grace. I told the story a long time ago, and I, I dare it say repeating, when I was in seminary and I was flying Piedmont Airlines. Do y'all remember Piedmont Airlines? Y'all are too old. Y'all are too young to remember Piedmont Airlines. That was one of the greatest carriers around. It really was. They had a flight that went from Boston to Charlotte that left about 10 o'clock and it cost $87 round trip. For a seminary student, that's just, that's like made for heaven. And I would get on that flight at 10 o'clock and come home to be with my family probably once or twice a year. And one particular flight I was flying, 
I had gotten on a plane. I was sitting beside a businessman who had probably had about four or five mixed drinks on our plane. So he was already lit to the wind. And as we're flying on the plane, I'm sitting there trying to mind my own business until finally, you know that awkward moment where you kind of look at your neighbor and say, so what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm in seminary. And he said, what is that? And I said, well, I'm, I'm studying to become a pastor. He was Roman Catholic and immediately interpreted that as I'm becoming a priest. And he... <laughs> He was in the midst of drinking his sixth mixed drink when I said, well, I'm becoming a minister. And he went, no kidding. And up until that time, I think I learned every new word of curse that you could possibly know. I could probably curl the paint in this room with the kind of language he was speaking. But after that moment, all I heard from him was what a wonderful person he was, what a good father, how he's helped so many people. And so the rest of the flight was the most boring part of my entire life because I knew everything he said was a lie. How did I know? Because of the life that he had lived with me the first 30 minutes of the flight. Why do I tell you this? Because we live in a world where everyone who is broken knows they're broken, but they only want to tell you how good they are because of the shame of their sin. And here's the glory of Jesus. He became flesh in order to identify with you in such measure That as you give witness to Jesus, we do not brag about how good we are. We brag about how good Jesus is. And how Jesus has forgiven me, an adulterer, fornicator, liar, thief, idolater. That this Jesus forgave me. There's the power of our testimony. People don't want to know how good you are. They don't care. They know the truth. What they really want to know is can Jesus really forgive me? And you know what the good news is? He can. How can God forgive? If God is so holy and righteous and just, and he must judge sin, he must convict those who sin against him. He must punish them for their sins. How does God forgive? And I hear people say this all the time. Well, God's a forgiving God. Well, how can he forgive? If he's holy and just and right and true, how can God ignore our sins? And the answer is he can't. But he did do this. He became flesh. And he hung on the tree for you. 
and he bore our sins. And he paid the penalty once and for all. And this is our testimony. That God not only can, but is able to forgive. Because in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And he became flesh and dwelt among us. I can't wait to get in this, this gospel. I just cannot wait to hear more of what this God has done for me. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, as we take this time to close our time of worship, we pray that as we study these passages, as we look upon this chapter, as we begin to gaze upon the beauty of its wording, that we recognize that there will be people who will laugh and scoff. They will make jokes and they will make us the derision and the butt of jokes because they do not understand what we have come to see and to know. And because of that, there is so much for us to learn, so much for us to, to absorb in knowing God. I think as we studied back on the book of Ephesians, how many times Paul would pray for the Ephesians that they would come to know the salvation to which God has given them. And so my prayer is, as we study your word, that we would come to know this Jesus, not from the ink and page of a Bible, but from the living Christ who is now with us, even in this moment in this room, and that you would reveal yourself to us more and more so that we may walk in that knowledge of Jesus Christ, that he has cleansed and washed us in such measure that through him we now have peace and are able to face any uncertainty. Because if God be for us, who can be against us? He that gave his own son for us, how will he not also give us all things? And so, Father, we stand with our arms open, with our hands lifted to you, asking, Lord Jesus, help me understand more of what John is teaching we pray it in Jesus' name. And the people of God said together,